That's worth your time right there. That was, uh, thank you. That was beautiful. Um, very touching. Um, <clears throat> we are beginning a brand new series today, and it's one that I first started thinking about last October, last November, and began putting it together. And uh, everybody's got a different style. You know, I re- try to read a scripture through that God just starts leaning my heart into a passage or a book or an idea, you know, kind of a theme. And as, as that grows and, and as I begin to feel this, this affection or this passion for maybe a character or maybe just a, a book, you know, how God just awakens my heart and I lean more and more into that, then first it's, it's kind of a spiritual, it's kind of an emotional experience, you know, and I, and I do that and I feel, oh God, this is, uh, this is where I think you've got my heart and where you want me to go. And after that, then the other side of my brain kicks in and I start putting it together. And it begins uh, kind of organically like a skeleton, you know. And I, I think, well, here's a pattern. This is a natural stopping place. And then that would go to here. And uh, typically I try to come in, you know, and look at it and, and, and think about what can you tolerate from me and how long should it be and how does it naturally fall, what pieces, you know, seem to make sense. And so, so when I first started looking at the book of Mark, I thought, wow, if, if I really do this in the way that it seems to, to just kind of naturally flow, it's going to be about 10 weeks. Now, that's the longest series I think I've ever done. But as I continue to look at it and live and breathe with it, I think, well, I don't know, it might be 11, it might be 12. I, I, and so I'm going to do something that's a little unique for me and probably scare the life out of you, uh, is that I just knocked the, the back out of this. Um, I, I took the end and just opened it up and, and just said, Lord, what do you want to do in this series? Do you want to do something different? Do you want to do something that is, is planned and organized and, and is coherent, but at the same time, Holy Spirit, I want to give you complete freedom. If you want to take something out or put something in, would you do that? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this journey with me. Mark is a fascinating writer, and his approach is so different and special and unique in so many ways. So if you're a regular attender here at Calvary, I'm going to ask that you would read along with me, okay? Just begin reading through uh, the, the book of Mark, and I believe the Lord. I'm going to be one of those guys on TV, you know, that says, and God told me, and there's a number on the bottom of the screen. I also need you to, you know, sell your boat and send me the money for that. Um, we need another jet here at Calvary. Uh, but I, I, I really believe the Lord has spoken to me. And, and, and I want to apologize for that. That if you begin just reading this scripture, even if you don't hear me talk about it, you know, week to week, just read the scripture. God is going to begin flowing into your life. He's going to flow in blessing and healing. Because I believe that's, I, I know that's something he's going to do this year. Is some of you are going to be healed emotionally and of memories and of hurts and of wounds and in relationships and all kinds of ways. And I believe he's going to start doing that through the book, the gospel of Mark. So I hope you can come as many weeks as is possible, however long this journey takes us. I told Keith today, I said, even our art uh, and the theme and everything about it, it almost has this 
like Star Wars and Hobbits all crashed together and got saved and they're redeemed. And so now uh, Mark says, you know what? I can bring that to life just through the story of Jesus. And so that's the adventure we're on together. So I hope you read it as much as you can and that you come as often as you can. And we're just going to do this together. So here's the big idea over the entire series, okay? As we go forward together, and, and, and th- this is it. Just a little paragraph or a long run-on sentence uh, for you that'll give you an idea. This is what it's going to be about. This series explores key themes in the Gospel of Mark, especially the concept of the kingdom of God and its upside-down values. Over and over again, We learn how this coming kingdom elevates the marginalized, protects the vulnerable, and finds its strength in weakness. Through following our new leader, our ruler, Jesus, we we learn to receive the kingdom and to live as previews to its coming glory. That's what this series is going to be about. It sounds presumptuous, doesn't it? Uh, But God's going to do some some beautiful things. Well, let's read. Let's just begin reading this text. And uh, for today, our passage will be just the first 15 verses of Scripture. Now, those of you who know me, and if you've ever asked me, and you've said, I'm I'm going to get my cousin a Bible for his birthday, or mama wants, you know, something, you know, for Christmas, I'm going to give her a Bible, or you begin to want one, and I almost always, my go-to version is the English Standard Version. I just really like that. I'm not an expert in languages, but I've studied a little bit, and I think the ESV just nails it. It's so readable. It's, it's readable. It just flows very well. But at the same time, it's highly accurate word-for-word translation. So that's my go-to. Today I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. <laughs> just to throw you off. Um, and here's what the text says. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began... Just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and to hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, someone is coming. Soon, who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. 
And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals, and angels took care of him. Later on, when John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Here's the big idea about today's message. We first learn about the kingdom of God and its paradoxical values by learning about its ruler, Jesus. And what do we do with that when we walk back out those doors in just a little while? How do we apply that? What's the next step? I want this to, to flow into action and not just be a lecture or a sermon or something you hear on a Sunday morning and then we go on about our business. How do we apply it? Well, here's the application point. Our values and, and the very way that we live, our lifestyle, our practices, how we look comes from another kingdom. He's made us something different. Well, Mark's gospel begins with the beginning. <laughs> and it's actually a word that doesn't say in the beginning, but just the beginning, archaic. And it's reminiscent of Genesis 1-1 where uh, the writer says, in the beginning, in the very beginning, before there was history, before there was time, before we kept records of these things, in the beginning. And then John, in his magnificent way that only John could do, you know, just, uh, he, you know, he says, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and, and that was, John was sort of the, the, the hippie of the group, you know. John, John was, he was just so cool in the way he said everything, in the beginning. So you get this idea that there's a beginning, there's something fresh, there's something different and new about to start and to be initiated. And it alludes to these other beginnings. The first sentence, to me, it just explodes with the whole summary of this book of the gospel. He says, this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And it began just as the prophet Isaiah has written. So in just that short tweet, he, he says, good news, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He fulfilled prophecies. He just packed all of that in. And then he spends the rest of the gospel unpacking that. He announces right off, Jesus is Messiah. I don't want you to be confused or for this to be vague. I'm not going to, you know, to try to be elusive or mysterious about it. Jesus is Messiah. And that he is God's son. And for those of you who are in conversations with friends or family and says, well, Jesus never really claimed to be the son of God, or it's not explicit about that. Yeah, it kind of is. And not just here. It's, it's all over the place throughout the New Testament. But there's something brand new 
that's happening. And if there's an impression that we walk back out of uh, the room today with, I hope it's that. That you get this sense, this feeling, there's something different. This isn't the same old thing. There's something different that's happening. Mark is the shortest gospel And it's also the very first time anybody ever wrote all this down. Mark is the oldest gospel. He was the first one to write. And he packs it with nonstop action and rugged adventure. Mark captures Jesus' essence in in his own way. He pushes this story forward with a sense of just constant motion. You already picked that up just in the first 15 verses. His style is uh, like Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, it, it, it's, it's rough, it's blunt, it has sharp edges and unfinished endings. It just tumbles forward. It's fast-paced and hard-hitting. He leaves out details and puts in the things he thinks are important. It's fast-paced. Events are recorded in just this rapid-fire succession. I was even uncomfortable reading those verses because I I would think, wait a minute, as my grandson says, wait a minute. You didn't tell the details. You didn't tell, well, Satan took him up here and he did this and he did that. He goes, no, you know, this was, you know, ain't nobody got time for that. Well, you just gotta, we got to get this story rolling. And he, so he just, he just throws it all out there. And if you want a big picture, you're going to have to read some of the other Gospels to kind of fill in the gaps and the blanks here. Because Mark is in too big a hurry. Matthew writes to the Jews. And he presents Jesus as Messiah who fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies. And he's very meticulous and he walks through the, you know, the names. And, and if you were a Jewish reader, you'd think, oh my goodness, look at the, Jesus is the guy. He's the one. And Mark is the guy who brings that to the table. And then there's Luke. Luke writes to the Greeks. And he shows... Uh, through that cultural lens, that Jesus is the perfect Son of Man. And he shows Jesus in this detailed way, as only Luke could do, and he notices these nuances, and and he says, here's Jesus, in a way that that culture could understand in language that that they could relate to. And then there's John. I've already mentioned John. And I'm just very affectionate about him. I like everything John ever wrote. Uh, anytime when I was in college and seminary, I could get something that was, you know, a part of Johannian literature. He's also the easiest to translate. He just used everyday language. He talked real plainly um, and didn't use a lot of big vocabulary words or fancy sentences. But the way he put things together was fascinating. So John had this big worldwide perspective, and he wrote to everybody. It didn't matter who you were or where you came from. He put it in a way uh, that was just unique. And he reveals Jesus as fully human and fully divine. As the Savior. The Savior. The Rescuer of all of us. That was John. Our focus and our thoughts are going to be with Mark for the next several weeks. Mark 
wrote to the Romans, the dominant society, the overwhelming influence and power of the age, the Romans. He uses the title Son of God more than any of the other writers. And he says it over and over again as if he's just subtly trying to remind us Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus is the monogenes, the only begotten. He's unique. He's one of a kind. He's something original and distinctive. There's never been anybody like Jesus, and there never will be again. Jesus ushers in a new kingdom, a new kingdom, and it's a fresh beginning for all of us. That's what Mark gives us. Now, the start of this story implies this new beginning, even by the language and just throwing it out there, that that something is breaking in. It's replacing It's redeeming the old way. Your Bible is probably neatly divided into two big sections. One is called the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. And the other is called the New Testament or the New Covenant. Now, that's a very purposeful distinction. It wasn't just a neat way to divide it and to think, well, how can we organize this, which a a lot of the, the numbering and the chapter division and all of that, we did that, okay? We invented that just so that I wouldn't say, well, turn over here somewhere and, you know, it's, it, here's what it sounds like, but that we could have reference points so that we could find it together. That's just organizational. But these two big sections are important because that's literal. There was an old covenant, but now, and this is what Mark is concerned with all throughout the gospel, and I'm going to say it over and over again, this is different. This is new. Not only does the language evoke this sense of a new beginning, but the setting does as well. Verse 3 places us out in the wilderness, out in the middle of nowhere bringing to mind the call of the Israelites out of Egypt. And it it orients us, it it initiates us to the setting of a new group of people called to salvation. It's not the same old, same old. This first chapter by itself is just rich with this concept of recreation as well as this necessary component of repentance. Now, people were familiar with repentance, and they kind of got that. But this brings a whole new emphasis and light to it. In chapter 1, verse 4, it says that John the Baptist was preaching a baptism of repentance. That was always a a huge element. It It was this beginning place, this launching pad and catalyst into a relationship with God. When I am ready to abandon my best ideas, all my schemes, my smartest thoughts, all my plans, and say, this isn't working, my flesh, my sin. When I'm willing to turn away from that and to say, I don't want to be just me, that's repentance. 
And he says, that ushers in this availability, this openness and surrender, this place where I could be vulnerable and my heart could be moved again by this invasion of the Holy Spirit. Something different. They had never heard this kind of thing before. And we're introduced to this central theme of this book that we'll see over and over, a call towards this reorientation to the accurate values of the kingdom of God because it had become something different. Now, I know you've heard me or guys like me uh, to teach this and to say, well, by the time of Jesus, the Old Testament had become such a mess. I mean, it had become so burdensome. And there are all these laws and rules and this legalism. And it just goes on and on and on. And you may think it was a neat little package of Ten Commandments, but it wasn't. It was hundreds of commandments. There were 200 just concerning the Sabbath. Just on how do we do Saturday? Well, we've got a couple of you got a minute because there are 200 of them. You think, ah, and it had become such a heavy burden and such a weight on people. And they were just trudging forward in this legalistic, heavy culture. And there were these experts close by, all these scribes and teachers and Pharisees and Sadducees who had studied this. And they knew more than anybody else, and so they were the reference point. So they would tell you, well, you can't even read, so I'll tell you not only what Scripture says, but I'll interpret it for you. It had become something different than what God had ever intended in His desire to be in relationship with us. Jesus' appearance, His lifestyle... (laughs) Everything about him, it's a good start. And then John, who introduces him, what a character. From his coarse clothing uh, to his strange diet in verse 6. And that is the John diet for those of you who are seeking something a little different from keto or paleo or one of the other things. I'm going to suggest that you just eat locusts and wild honey. I'm not even sure where you get locusts. I bet Publix has them. I'm, I don't, Kroger probably would not. But wild honey, I mean, so he, he, he's just a different dude. Uh, John is, he's, he's, he's on his own. And he immediately communicates that he has different values than the surrounding world. (laughs) He doesn't fit in. And I can imagine he was uh, just a curious, that people talked about him and they would go out. I want to see this guy. I want to check him out for myself. Now, sometimes when we read this description and we subconsciously assume, well, maybe that wasn't so weird in that day. Maybe a lot of people wore rough clothes and I don't know why it mentioned that he had a leather belt. You know, I think, okay, just his accessories, you know, just starts talking about the way, and he, and he does, the way he presents himself, it's just un, unusual, and I want you to know that this would be as different back then as it would be today. This is like some, one of you living on campus or living, you know, in Powell or West Knoxville, probably not so different from South Knox. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, uh, now all the South Knox people, don't be offended, I'm just messing with you. Um, 
But this is like one of us going up and way, way up into the mountains all by ourselves, and, and saying, you know, I don't want anything. I don't want any electricity. I don't want any running water. I don't, I'm just going to eat wild stuff, and I'm going to wear the clothes. I'm just going to forage and, and kind of make do. I'm going to catch rabbits or birds or something, and uh, I'm just going to live out there by myself. We think, wow, what an unusual you know, what an unusual thing to, to do, to live outside of civilization, wearing only clothes that you make and eating these unusual foods. And we wonder, well, what would make somebody choose to give up modern comforts so he doesn't have Netflix? No. He doesn't even have access to the Internet. <gasps> How can I email him or text? I don't understand. It would just be so different. And he takes on these practices that are, that are weird and old-fashioned to us. And, and this scene is our first clue. Something different's going on. And this inbreaking kingdom of God is just radically like nothing we've seen before. And he's like nothing we would assume. And Jesus... I don't know what you've heard about him, what you've read, what you've been told. I want you to leave your hearts and your minds open as we go forward. He may not be at all like you assumed him to be. This is what I found out at 19. Because I had my ideas and I had my assumptions and I thought I knew what he was like. And when he woke me up. He was so refreshing and so beautiful and so different. I just regretted the time I'd spent apart from him. Mark teaches us that following Jesus into this new frontier of God's kingdom isn't like following someone on Instagram you know, or, or Twitter or Facebook, uh, where you're just one safe click away. You know, you can leave a, a, a catty comment. You know, you can say something snarky or, you know, sarcastic, and then you can just, just float away. Or you can, you know, it, it, it's just a crazy place. But you're safe. You know, and, and you can tell people feel safe by the, the comments that they leave. And you think, would you say that in person? Would you say that if your mama was on Facebook? I don't think so. You know, but we, we feel that, that, that kind of a thing. Jesus warns us, this isn't like that. You're putting yourself out there when you decide to follow Jesus. When you go into his kingdom, you're anything but safe. And I want to say that today. I want to say that up front for those of you who are thinking about following Christ. You're investigating this. I'm not going to tell you any of that nonsense or patronize you by saying, oh, once you come to Jesus and just ask him into your heart, oh, everything, I don't know what's going to happen to you. Some of us have been taught to think that, that following Jesus is best calibrated, you know, by church attendance. And my grandmother used to say that as a teenager. And, and I'll, just, I'll just tell you, I just stayed high. I don't remember my teenage years. I was just high the whole time. I'm just, okay. So, um, and, and then I would come into their house to visit. And I know some of your parents saying, I wish you wouldn't have told my child that. Well, well Pastor Dan got high. You know, no, I'm not condoning that, okay? So stop that laughter. Wipe those smiles off your face. Uh, but she would always say, oh, I wish you'd get started in church. 
I can't tell you. And, and God bless her. She was trying to do the right thing. And now I get it. Now I understand. But to her, that was it. That was the defining action. We should go to church. Listen, coming into church, no matter how many times you're here, doesn't make you a Christian any more than walking into McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Listen, it's not about that. And I'm glad you're here and I hope you come back. But it's not calibrated by church attendance and activities and, and keeping company with the right sort of people. My parents would always look at me when I would bring my friends in because they were weird. <laughs> I mean, I, we were freaky people. And they just, and I don't know, my dad, it would just upset him so much. I mean, I could just see him and, and the things he would say afterwards about me and about them. And you look like it, you know, oh, he'd just go, and I could tell. And then when I start bringing my Christian friends in, and we're all neat and clean, and, and, and we're, I started to say shaved, but I know that's not a thing anymore. And uh, yeah, you go for it, guys. I just, I can't do it. I look, I look, I just, I look, I'd look like John the Baptist. But I think we think that somehow when we do all of that, that if we do Jesus, that's going to make our life safe and shiny and pain-free. Not according to Mark. As you read this this week, Jesus invites us to a cross and through an empty tomb to follow him on the greatest adventure of your life. I was reading in Zephaniah one morning. Zephaniah 3.15 says that when the Lord himself comes, and that jumped off the page because I'm reading about Mark, and, and then it hit me. This is one of those things where he says, I'm not just sending another prophet. I'm not sending another writer or a king or a priest or all of those things. He said, I'm coming. When the Lord himself comes to rescue his people, the troubles of his people will at last be over. That's our sin. In verse 20 of that chapter in Zephaniah, God promised to give his people a good name. He says, when I bring you home again. And we just sang about that. Kevin was just singing about that a moment ago. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is so beautiful. I think I might want this sung at my funeral. <laughs> Look at this in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. Uh, because that's in Zephaniah, that's in Old Testament, that's all the way. Now let's fast forward all the way to the end of things. In chapter 2, verse 17, it says, Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone. And on that stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. Even though there's going to be tough days, and I'm going to tell you, if you decide to be a Christian, it's not going to be easy. You're going to immediately turn around and swim against culture. And I don't know what that will look like for you. For me, it was very difficult. I lived in a non-Christian environment, and I was seen as the rebel. 
One member of my family said, well, you've always been the white sheep of the family. <laughs> I thought some of you see yourself as the black sheep. I lived in a whole family of black sheep, and, and I was the white sheep. You know, I was the, I was the good guy. You know, and, and it was just a different, it was a different thing for me. I don't know, maybe you'll just go right into fire. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I can tell you this. It may not look like you thought, and it certainly won't be just easy peasy and a cakewalk. However, there is a light at the end. And that during this journey together, he will, I promise you, he promises you, which is more important. He promises, I will take every step with you. You will not ever live one single day ever again alone. And he will calm you with his love. He will sing over you and bring peace in the midst of all your fears, all your uncertainty, all your anxieties. The two stories about Jesus in this section are intentionally selected. Now, Mark just bumps right th through them, whereas other people take a little more time. But they reveal these two big truths about Jesus. First is in verse 9 with his baptism. And then as his introduction in verse 11 as the Son of God. Both of these have deep messianic overtones of deity and of kingship. Can you imagine how this sounded? I mean, we're used to this. But to be introduced as God, as divine. And he is the only person able to be baptized without a confession of sin. The only person. And immediately after this, he's tested in the wilderness in verse 13. And through that testing, he identifies with human beings, with us. And it's a reminder that, that it was a very real physicality and it was a very real humanity. He wasn't play acting. It wasn't for show. He wasn't pretending. He was one of us. And Jesus has been tested and proven to be both human and to be capable of withstanding all the challenges and the temptations and the opposition. This is the ruler that Mark introduces us to as a means of announcing there's a new kingdom, there's a new king. You know, we, we often understand people, nations, or groups, and we interpret them by their leaders. You know, if, if there's a leader, then we think of their, their followers as, as like them. In a similar way, we began this book today together that will shape our understanding of the kingdom of God because we're going to learn about the king of this new kingdom. Every week, I'm just going to talk about Jesus. Just Jesus. And all the various ways that he's not like what you would expect him to be like. This little section ends with a proclamation um, that should shape how we understand the entire story of this book. It's in verse 15, and it says this, The kingdom of God has come near. 
Once we're introduced to the king, we're introduced to this new kingdom. And the actions and the words of Jesus that we're going to read about are are not merely just the actions and words of a good man. Oh, please. He's not just a teacher. Oh, stop that. Uh, he's, He's not all of those. I was talking with a a young lady not long ago, and she goes, oh, I think Jesus was such a good person. And I just think, I said, what? I said, hey, you can't do that. You can't reduce him to, oh, he's such a nice guy. And I just loved all that about Jesus. No, he wasn't just that. C.S. Lewis said he was either the Lord or a liar or a lunatic. But nobody did and said the things he said And could be thought of as, oh, he was such a good teacher. It's bigger than that. There's a new order of things. There's a new kingdom. Jesus is not simply, and I want you to hear this. Jesus is not simply a continuation, an extension of an old belief system. Or an updated version of Judaism 2.0. You may connect Jesus in your mind, I did, the impressions you have, or maybe the memories that some of you are carrying with you now because of some atmosphere you were brought up in. Maybe even a church that wounded you or hurt you. Churches can do that. Pastors can do that. Teachers and leaders can either unintentionally or sometimes, sadly, intentionally do a lot of damage. This is not about that. This is not a worn-out, tired, legalistic religion that's mostly interested in just making you nicer, making you better, making you act differently, become a more moral person. Jesus came to make all of that obsolete. Jesus came to usher in a new kingdom of grace and of love and radically alter you from the inside out. He didn't come to make you better. Actually, he came to crucify you and to be crucified for you so that you would have the freedom to repent And to let go of all that junk. And to surrender and to have this new, resurrected, beautiful life in Christ. In John 5, 39, Jesus said, you pour over the scriptures. Because you think that they give you eternal life. The scriptures point to me. It's Jesus. Everything leads up to or refers back to Jesus. You don't need another religion. You just need Jesus and nothing else. You just need Jesus. Nothing else. 
early Christians used one symbol that became identifying to them. Many of you are already familiar with it. They used it to mark the tombs of believers or to designate secret meeting places because of the intense Roman persecution. Sometimes it would be drawn in the dust or the sand and then erased. It would be used to distinguish a friend from an enemy. It was this covert part of a new language. It it also captured beautifully the, the evangelistic intent of Jesus, his ministry, the essence of who he was. And it wasn't a cross. It was a fish. This fish symbolized the Greek word ichthus. Ichthus is a perfect acrostic. Priesus Christos Theo It's in English, Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. That's it. And here is the heart of Mark's gospel. That's it. Reduced down to just that one phrase, that one symbol. Here is the good news about Jesus and folks that's where we're headed together over the next several weeks it's good news I hope you'll come as many weeks and as often as you can and I hope you'll start reading the book of Mark on your own during the week you'll get a lot more out of this series if you do and if you're, if you're at a place where you're outside of the kingdom, this would be the perfect day, the perfect time to repent, to let go of yourself, to let go of your sin, and all the destructive habits that that's created and the dysfunction and the addictions and everything that goes along with that. How many times does your heart have to be broken? How many times do you have to break the hearts of the people around you? You are invited. One of the things you'll see and love about Jesus is that he he didn't have a lot of really religious friends. He was accused and criticized over and over again because some of his pals were tax collectors and thieves, prostitutes, all kinds of shady, sketchy folks. People like us. He came to redeem you.
to rescue you, to save you, and to make you a citizen with all the rights and all the privileges equal in a new kingdom. And I invite you today to join us. And then as we go forward, you can continue to read and to understand this new kingdom, this new king that you have that has replaced yourself as your own queen, your own king. I invite you today, if you want to take that first step, we'll show you what do I do next. The first time I ever came to Jesus, I had no idea what I was doing. I just came forward at this little church, and I had a friend named Mike who was a Christian, and I didn't know what to pray or how to pray, so I just knelt down and I said, Lord, make me like Mike. <laughs> Not exactly four spiritual laws, not exactly. Later, somebody preached and said, if you didn't say this and do this and do that, I don't think you're saved. And I thought, I didn't do any of that. I'm, oh, my goodness. I said it all wrong. God knows your heart. If you're ready, just come to Jesus. and He will begin a deep healing and cleansing that your heart longs for. If you're a follower of his already, but... You've begun to fall back into that old testament. And you're just trying so hard to keep all the rules and the laws and the regulations and to get this right. Listen, he wants to set you free. Repent of your self-righteousness. Let him fill you with his. Let's stand. Let's testify. Let's sing. If you're not sure what to do next, we're going to have pastors and counselors and friends in this room who'd love to pray with you, who'd love to set up a time where you can talk some more over a cup of coffee or in an office. Let's do this together. Let's go forward. Be healed in Jesus' name.